The Rice and Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by Touchstone Electric Fireplaces. Get yours for 15% off by using the pro- promo code TTP at zerodeadbirds.com. Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process, serving the Delaware beaches at processrealtor.com. And LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. On the show today, Finally, uh, seven years ago, we started this uh, Sixers podcast so I could eventually have my favorite musician on the podcast. Um, that is Butch Walker. So he will be on the pod. I took the long way, uh, <laughs> considering I worked uh, at Rock Radio and it's going to happen through the basketball podcast. So he's got a new album out called American Love Story, which we will talk about. Very excited for that. Um, we have an update in Brian Colangelo relationship advice. I don't know if you rem- you will remember this email as soon as I read it to you. Um, we have an update there. New playoff scenario scenarios for the NBA potentially at Disney World. Uh, what a Sixers championship would look like during a pandemic. And uh, if we can get to it, the official rules for signing players from an Australian listener who has sent us ver- some very poignant emails before. Uh, without any further ado, here is Amos and the Chef. Welcome to the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who's really given me this one. That is Mike Levin. Happy to do it, man. Yeah, very excited. I'm, uh, I don't think I've been... It's, it's sort of uh, ironic in that I won't tell the story, but uh, our, our third Ricky member, Amos Lee, was integral in getting Butch to come on the pod. And uh, Amos was like a Mount Rushmore musician for me before I found out what a strange guy he was, uh, and he started coming on the podcast, and Butch as well. So um, to be able to have them both on the podcast, it is very, very exciting. I guess my question to you to start off the pod, if you could have anybody on... The dog from Turner and Hooch. <laughs> is that dog still alive? Probably not, but he's okay. a very good actor. Um, outside of the dog, non-basketball player, is there somebody? Is there like a, I don't, like, I don't know who your film and TV, like, idols are, who your favorite, I, I think I know some of your favorite musicians, but if, if you could have somebody on, is there, is there somebody that sticks out to you in your mind on the list? No. No? I don't know that I would. It's, it, there's all, some, it always strikes me as, like, pretty, Asking people about their, like, writing process with, like, TV and film and stuff is always, it's Mm -hmm. just, like, it kind of makes me want to gag. I do, I find it, like, interesting in, like, a human way, but it it always feels so, like, performative in a a more, like, interview setting. Because the answer is, like, I don't, I don't know. It just, like, happens. Um, And if anyone has, like, a really clear answer about it, it's, like, I I get turned off by that. Um, I would, you know, there's a hand, like, a... 
there's a handful. Sofia Coppola yeah. would be cool. I think she's excellent. Um, yeah. There's a handful of direct, like as far as like current people, but I, I wouldn't want to be the one to interview them. You know, I'd rather just listen to someone else who's like more qualified than than me to do it. Hmm. Uh, like yeah, Barry Jenkins or something. Like I don't know why any, why anyone would need me to ask them questions to be like. <laughs> but, so what about the Sixers? <laughs> well, so what about them? What about them? <laughs> Give me the dog yeah. from Turn and Hooch. Yeah, I'll be clear. I, um, as, as far as I know, there is zero basketball connection between Butch Walker. I'll see what um, I can do. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll file I, so there. I was talking to my wife about it earlier. What if she he's like, like very anti-process? I hope he is. <laughs> the process was bullshit, right, Butch? <laughs> my, I was talking to Val about it before we did it, and she was like, uh, "Is Mike a fan?" I was like, "I don't think Mike was like really aware." I was like, "I sent him a you know a bunch of music and and context." I listened to and, it. All of and it. Uh, uh, good, I'm glad. Thank you. Um, and uh, she was like, "I was like, I'm kind of excited for his for for you to be there because I would not know." what you would ask, right? Like, I don't, your participation could be anything. Yeah. So I ask about the do I. We'll see how yeah. it goes. <laughs> Good. Uh, so there has been uh, a lot of talk on, uh, on the, the basketball internet today about, you know, like the, the NBA Orlando news that continues to come out. Uh, one thing that came from Mark Stein is that the players, this is from agents, some agents are worried that there might be a disparity in the in the level of hotels that the players might be staying in I love at this. Disney World. I like that they're just saying players. They're not saying owners, GMs. <laughs> right. Doesn't seem I, like they're going to be the ones to take the hit and stay at the fucking, you know, Motel well, they, 6. I can tell you what. They're not telling Mark Stein. <laughs> yeah. That would be, you know, that's that's on uh, that's on agents for having a, a loud mouth about that one. Um, I... Uh, the I, I did a little googling, and Disney World has thirty thousand hotel rooms. Um, obviously, not all of the same level. You have Did to we send Sixers Adam to stay in each of the thirty thousand. <laughs> we can just have him stay at It's a Small World after all. Maybe right. Uh, stay on one of the rides. Um, and as of today, uh, and before we get to the playoff stuff, uh, Governor Tom Murphy, Tim Murphy, Tom Murphy, Tom Murphy, Phil. Phil Murphy, that's right. Oh, there's a Tim Murphy in my company. That's why I'm thinking Tim. Uh, Phil Murphy said that uh, the sports teams are allowed to go to practice. So that um, obviously affects the Sixers. Sixers allowed at New Jersey the facility. Governor. I don't think you said New Jersey. Oh, okay. Yeah, PA is Tom Wolf, uh, who also said um, that uh, you know that players can sports can operate uh, under guidelines without without viewers and, and things like that, but baseball's not ready for it yet. So the Sixers were, as of today, allowed to go to the facilities. They were going to share with them the rules. I think they probably know the rules at this point. Um, the rules are kind of funny in that creating distance between them while they're not on the court, while I assume is better than not doing it, they're going to be really close to each other on the court. Yeah. So. I would love just like them, somebody blowing a whistle when it's like, I'm sorry, you can't. <laughs> You, you just contested him. a dunk attempt. That's against the rules. You can't um, guard the inbounder. You can't try to <laughs> cover anybody close. You can watch them from across the court and say that I'm, I'm I hope you don't make a shot. It's like the the Rockets dream scenario. It really All that is. space. Yeah, really <laughs> just a, a giant court. The the two things going around that people seem to be talking about the most today, which I seems to is my guess is sort of a ruse from the NBA to keep people talking about something but how they're going to do 
the playoffs. And the, the two things that were talked about the most were one from KOC, which is a, uh, a soccer-style group stage format, and then one from Zach Lowe, which I think may have just been his idea. Um, but the, the KOC thing, I'll, I'll quickly read this. Bas- basically, the 16 current playoff teams um, plus four, the four next best, the four teams with the next best record, so no Eastern Conference teams, the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Kings, and the Spurs, um, are all part of this playoff format. And they are divided into five different tiers or groups. And each tier has four teams. Correct. Um, And this could be done in any number of ways. It could be done randomly. It could be done by record. Like tier one is Bucks, Lakers, Raptors, Clippers. Clippers. Um, And this is what KOC says. Groups could be randomly drawn with one team going into with one team from each tier going into each group. The NBA is working on approaches to fairly balance the grouping, such as limiting each group to only three Western Conference teams, according to multiple front office sources. Drawings for the group stage could be televised. League sources say the NBA draft lottery has yielded between. 2.4 2.4 and 4.4 million viewers the last 10 years on ESPN. I, I love, and I've always said this. I've always said this. There's some, like having the team that the highest, the, the highest seeded team getting to pick their opponents is would be so awesome. cool. You can yes. televise it. It is, people would take it personally. Especially, you know, like when it's a, when it's a travel situation, you could sort of write off travel as like, a, eh, mm-hmm. we just don't want to, we'd rather play the team that's close. We don't want to travel to wherever if it, it would. Whatever the case is, uh, say the like Milwaukee wouldn't want to play like Miami if that if it happened to line up that way they'd be like we'd rather play Indiana because it's closer if that if that mm-hmm. was the situation. Um, but now in this situation when they're all going to be in one place in Orlando, like it is just we think we can beat you more than we can beat the other team and that's there's something so cool about that and I would really love that. Yeah, uh, and and it would create instant like an instant rivalry. Absolutely. For- yeah, for you to say, of all the teams, I want to play you is such a fucking diss. It's like, it, to me, it's a worse diss than getting picked last uh, for an all-star team. Like, this is the the worst. I agree yeah. with you. It should just the, be the, the Bucks, Lakers, Raptors, and Clippers are each, like, essentially team captains. Mm-hmm. And they and, get to pick And their, they get to pick who they want in their bracket that they think they can beat. And it goes like a snake draft mm-hmm. style thing. I, I love that. I, uh, so... The, you know, the way this works is teams play opponents within their groups twice, meaning every team plays eight games. The two teams in each group with the best record move on. And then, like, I, I guess I, I like what you are saying. I like a twist to the normal playoff format. What I don't want, to be honest with you, and I know you are in favor of, like, full-on silliness i guess i don't i don't I, I obviously you've said that you feel different i would appreciate a little bit of like normalcy i guess well it, the bath the basketball is going to be normal or as normal as it gets right yeah. and so the playoff yeah. system can just be like whatever because ultimately it's going to be like they're not going to play each other in in like you know athletic checkers like it's not going to be like weird funky you know slam ball it's going to be a basketball game and so ultimately you have to beat enough teams to get there and so at least giving it some juice of like this isn't a normal year it's already yeah. an asterisk so like let's see if this this world cup style way to do it feels like a really fun one i would also add the drafting element into it it feels just like the, a way to get excitement back and make it feel personal you talk about like everyone always laments how oh man guys 
teams like each other too much. Athletes are always yeah. like hugging and stuff. Imagine if like you know Giannis or LeBron or whatever is like, I want to play. Get, like give me, you know, if it say it's a rival, say say it's like I'd rather play. If they say I'd rather play the Sixers over the over the Celtics or the reverse, which would be a which would be a more shocking thing because the Celtics are a better team or at least a better record. That would be like that's a, that is an immediate like well fuck those guys like they think that we're worse than them like that's that is a way to engender taking things personally and making it feel like it's not just guys just going out there and having fun. Do we have Butch Walker already? Yo, <laughs> what's up, man? Good, good. Sorry, I'm uh I'm actually I was I was just kind of just now got home, so I'm just now setting up. Give me two seconds and let me let me close the door in here and let me uh let me go pee real quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, you okay. got it. Hang tight. Yeah. Well, Mike, he's a guy after your own heart. It, most people don't know that IP. Yeah, what would you say? 8 out of 10 times, I'll send you the link to the pod, especially in the the weekend morning ones. And you'll be like, two minutes, gotta pee. Yeah. I like <laughs> ramming it up right next to the edge. The Rights Ricky Sanchez podcast is proudly, proudly brought to you by Touchstone Home Products, Touchstone Fireplaces in Exton, PA, home of zerodeadbirds.com, zero dead birds in your fireplace. Um, I was thinking, what would a living room look like with four electric fireplaces in them, one on each wall, just all facing you? Huh. <laughs> All some sort of I feel like some sort of fireplace superhero would have. Yeah, a total asshole. I think you would sound like one. One of these, one of the electric fireplaces from Touchstone is going to make you look cool, make you happy, give you like a a warmth, a warm feel. Not like it. Not not talking about specific warmth, as though it does create actual warmth. But I'm talking about like there's something about having a fire in the room that makes like it feel homey or whatever. Touchstone Electric Fireplaces, local company, um, going to get you your electric fireplace for whatever room, whether it's your bedroom, your living room, whatever. Easy installation from three feet wide to 100, not th- to 100 inches wide. I was going to say 100 feet, but nobody needs a 100 foot uh, electric fireplace. 100 inches wide, three inches wide to 100 inches wide. And the, the advantages of electric fireplace are endless. No smell. I remember when we used to, um, we used to have a fireplace in my parents' uh, living room. It, the smell is nice while it's happening, but it would last in the room for hours. Like it would even the smell would even get into the the like the rug and the um, the uh, what's it called the furniture stuff like that. No smell. Uh, it's not difficult. You don't have to go get logs and and prod it with a, a big metal poking thing. And sometimes and the, it smells like a little fishy. Uh, you what know what does? About? Burning wood? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. maybe I that's the birds that have been yeah. dying up there. But I, I associate like a little fishy, a little bit like something you can't quite place. Like not in the moment, like you said, but like after the fact, it's just like it's still kind of just lingering and becomes this sort of like weird salmony smell. And th- there's something about that, like a lot of smells that when they are alive, when they're happening, they smell great. But afterwards, an hour later, you don't want any part of them. And Look, a, a, a real fireplace is nice, but it is a pain in the ass. And there's real possibility, and this is my fear, that there's going to be dead birds in the chimney that you're going to end up cleaning out. That's not going to happen with the Touchstone Electric Fireplaces. Go to zerodeadbirds.com, zerodeadbirds.com. Uh, you can see an awesome gallery of what it'll look like in your uh, in your place. But uh, there you can order. They are shipping. It'll get to you within 
two or three days, they're working. If you have any questions, whether it's phone or online chat or email, they're ready to help you. Um, like you see all that, like some of it's got a blue flame, some of it's got an orange flame, they're adjustable, different flame intensities. Um, it's just, it's badass and it's easy. And it's, uh, as you like to point out, it is more energy efficient. It's good for the, uh, good for the environment. So um, go to zero bed, zero deadbirds.com um, and uh, check them out. Make sure you order one. Use code TTP for 15% off of your electric fireplace at Touchstone. ZeroDeadBirds.com, code TTP for 15% off. Touchstone, electric fireplaces. Back to the pod. Well, as we wait, the, uh, the, other, the other thing that got mentioned today was Zach Lowe wrote a, a whole big thing that the, what was it? The top eight seeds from the West and the top seven seeds from the East, then plus... No, what was it? He wanted 20 teams, basically. With same, a, same situation. Yeah, with, but with a seven-team tournament for the 14th, 15th, and 16th. Which is, which is pretty cool because the, yeah. the, the top six teams in the East and top seven teams in the West are so clearly ahead of the like, rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of that, but then it's those th- I think Zach made the point that those teams would then be like far more prepared. Okay, headphones are back on. There you are. What's up, man? What up? Yeah, man. Good, good. You guys doing okay? We're doing great. Yeah, man. Um, where, are you, yeah. Uh, where are you stationed for this? Stationed in my piano room in my house. Are you in, in, are you in California? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, in California. Yeah. I'm in, uh, I'm in Venice right now. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, Venice. That's, uh, that's my studio's in Santa Monica, and uh, I'm in, I live up in, like, north end of Malibu. So. Love it. Yeah. So I guess... I, I, but to ease into this, um, everybody, I, I was noting to my wife earlier that somehow during the, uh, the pandemic, I, I'm not a huge drinker. I drink not, not, not a lot, but I drink every night now. I'll have like one or two drinks every night. Is there something during this whole thing that you have found yourself doing too much of, um, or, or a, ha- a new habit that you never had before? Uh, drinking, masturbating, I don't know, all that, uh, um, it's kind of, um, it, it, it's very much a, um, um, a wagon wheel, you know, where everybody's just kind of on the gerbil hamster wheel or whatever. Um, luckily I'm still going into my studio and, and recording, uh, and working on records every day. So luckily at least for my family's sake, they don't have to see me for 24 hours, 24 seven. Um, because that would, that's probably the only way that we would all still be under the same roof together is that they get to get rid of me and, uh, for the day. But, um, you know, I had to cut back. I, I definitely caught myself, uh, having way too much wine every night Mm -hmm. and that's just easy to do, you know? Uh, and that's it, but that's, that's actually, kind of when I'm off the road, uh, it's, that's kind of a nightly, that's a struggle weekly anyway. <laughs> um, cause like I said, I, I, you know, I guess fortunately and unfortunately my, my, uh, schedule hasn't changed a whole lot as far as I'm still going into my work and I come home and have dinner with the fam and, and hang out and watch a movie with, with, with the kid. And we, you know, we, we do that kind of thing. And, um, and then I'm I, I'm in bed by a respectable hour, or so because I like to get up early with him, 
and uh, do breakfast and coffee, and then and then I, I head into the studio pretty early. Is this the most like stable your life has been in the however many decades you've been doing this? Quite honestly, um, like I said, it's 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 really pathetically stable always when I'm off the road. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much the my routine is this. I I definitely go home uh, at five or six o'clock at night every night and and uh, and try to always have dinner with the fam and do all that. And so I guess, yeah, it's it's uh, but there again, there's a lot of uncertainties for the future. So I, I don't know if stable is a good word. Right. Because, man, we just we're in a big, great unknown right now. Yeah. It, it's such a – I remember being at the, uh, the Taupanga show, uh, the last one, and you mentioned uh, – sort of passingly mentioned the uh, American love story. Um, and I think even at that time, it didn't seem like it was sure that it would come out. And it, it definitely seems like um, – I, I don't know. It definitely seems like if there were any time for this record to come out, it seems like somehow, some way, it has found uh, the right time. If if that makes any sense. Yeah, Does yeah. It- this this was a this was divine intervention for me uh, getting off my ass and putting this thing out because uh, I'd sat on it for a couple of years. Uh, yeah, if you were at the shows like you were, obviously, uh, and thank you for your patronage. Um, we definitely, um, I, I played. I played a song from that. I, I believe two years in a row, I played a song from from the new record, and was like, "Oh, this is from a new record I've been working on," uh, and uh, never finished it or just never put it out. And then, you know, this was a whole thing of this record's a touchy subject matter, obviously for some folks. Some folks, it's actually very welcome, and um, I've been pleasantly surprised with uh, with obviously with, with the feedback after it got, got released, um, uh, which I didn't know what to expect. But that being said, it's always weird to put out a record that's a concept record or a rock opera or whatever, where, uh, a lot of the songs are sung from the, you know, first person from multiple point of views and quite often a, the, the protagonist of the story and saying some pretty, um, dodgy things that like are, if we're heard out of context, it's like, if you would have heard me at the Topanga show a year ago playing, um, you know, flyover or, um, or something like that, or six foot mm-hmm. middle-aged American man peppered into a set full of songs of mine spanning 30 years. I think people might've been like, the hell did he just say? Like what, right. you know, it's like, what is he talking about? Because it, it requires a little prefacing and it requires obviously also a lot of talk about uh, the conversation that, the st- that, that, that is the storyline and um, listening to it. It's a tall order to get people to put a record on and say, OK, I want you to listen to this from first song to last in one sitting and right. listen, like pay attention. It's a little arrogant to expect that of people. And I think I was just a little bit uh, weirdly uh, insecure about asking that much of people in this day and age where everyone's so ADD and no one listens to an entire record in one sitting anymore. And, um, and not to mention that brings on the quagmire of trying to go out and play it live because what are you going to do? Just like pepper in like two or three songs from the record, uh, you know, in, in the midst of 30 years worth of songs that are like about bitter breakups 
And then all of a sudden you're singing songs about, you know, about border walls and racism and, and, and homosexuality and all this. And, 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 and I just didn't feel like it was going to, um, I didn't feel like it was going to mix well unless I played it all in one sitting. Right. And of course, you know, doing it all in one sitting is a tall order to ask somebody to come see you play uh, and go like, hey, I'm going to just sit here and play this 45 minute record front to back. You don't know it yet, but uh, here you go. <laughs> and what what is when you're when you're sitting on a record for a while that you, that you thought you're going to release a little bit earlier or whatever it is? Like, what is the reason? I'm sure there's multiple, but like why it's not coming out yet what's what you, when you don't feel like it's ready or you don't feel like people are ready for it or there's just some some hang up that's getting there because i have i'm a comedy writer and so sometimes the script is just like not ready yeah script's um, never finished a, uh, a movie's never finished a right. record's a record's never finished you just have to stop making it yeah. yeah and that's the wisest advice i've ever gotten from you know from someone and and it's honestly um it's, I've never had a problem with that on other records. I've never, I've never had commitment uh, issues with making a record and finishing it and going, okay, this is it. This I caught this all in the moment. There's warts and all. There's lots of mistakes. There's there's lyrics I would change, but you know what? This was a moment in time, and it needs to it needs to come out. And I know a lot of people. I think I think it always bugged me. A lot of people would spend um, uh, a lot of my friends that were in these, you know, in bands coming up in Atlanta in the scene. And, uh, a lot of them would like, they just would dwell and toll over a record forever and never finish it and literally never put it out because they were never happy with it. Like it would be like total Chinese democracy. And you just be sitting there going like, man, this is good stuff. What are you so hung up about? Why are you so insecure about putting this out? Like, you, you know, put a cap in it. Let's put this thing out. And then, you know, it's like you, they never got a chance to chase uh, chase any sort of momentum on a record or, or a buzz for their band or whatever just because they were never satisfied with it. And look, I'll be the first to admit that's an artistic trait, being like um, never satisfied. Yeah. And I'm that way to an extent. I'm, I'll finish a record. I'll put it to bed. I'll be happy with it. A year later, I'll come back and I'll go, oh, I can't even listen to this. Yeah. Or, or that'll happen with anything. But like, uh, that's just, that's just part of it. You know, I, I, that's just growing, uh, as a person, as a, as an artist, as whatever you want to call it, you know? And kind of just having to leave when you did something kind of in the time that you did it. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of art that's going to be made in this time that, Hopefully when this is all done in a couple of years, you look back and you're like, I was in a weird place. And because we are, and we're yeah. all staying at home. Yeah. Yeah. And how many records have you enjoyed? I mean, this is a nerd, nerd out question, but, and you may not even be familiar or care, but you know, I can, I can tell you speaking from experience that anytime I put on a record that's someone revisited and went back and changed it, mm -hmm. I hated it. Mm, like, right. like if someone went back and remixed it and made it sound all modern, like a, I, I hated that. I hated when ZZ Top had these perfect, perfect raw rocking records in the seventies that I loved that put the timestamp on my brain of what those records meant and what they sounded like and what they were. And then all of a sudden came back in the nineties and they had like 
tons of reverb all over them, the tracks and stuff, because they remixed them and wanted them to sound contemporary. And I was like, this just sounds bad. And and I remember like several bands did that, that I, that I would hear, or they'd go back and fix like, you know, when auto-tune was, was, you know, used, people would be like, oh, you know, I went back and fixed all the pitchy screams and notes and stuff on those records and put it out. And it's like, yeah, you, you just sucked all the life out of it. And um, that's happened more times than not. That's like, that's like, um, you know, I, it, I equate it to, I did a record called Letters uh, back in the day. And uh, there's a picture of me on the cover uh, that's, I'm like leaning out of a old Buick, old car. And, um, I think I had like a little must, I had a mustache at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I know that mustaches, uh, kind of come and go as far as being in vogue. And, um, <laughs> I, that at the time, I don't want to say I was a little ahead of the curve, but it wasn't contemporary. Like it wasn't like mainstream to have a mustache. It was like, more like um, I maybe more kids were doing it in the in in you know the indie rock circles and you know whatever. Uh, but like I had one and I liked it and I wore it on the cover. And of course I was on this big major label, Epic Records, and they were so proud one day when they sent me the artwork when we were getting the artwork together for, for the record. They sent me the record with my mustache airbrushed off. <laughs> and, they were, and they were so proud. They weren't even apologetic. They were like, don't you love it? And I was like, love it. You took, you took hair off of my face. <laughs> and they're like, I know it looks great. Doesn't it? And I was like, no, put it back, you know? And, well, uh, so yeah, anyway, that's the, uh, the, that's how I, that's how I mean when something is done, I know that was a weird comparison, but like, obviously musically, I think you got to finish something and you got to commit to it. Cause if there was a moment that you recorded it and it gave you goosebumps and you felt great about it and you were like, yes, yes, this is great. Don't give it time. Don't, don't give it like four months to overanalyze it. And then all of a sudden water it down to where you're like not sure about it and, and you don't even love it anymore. Well, the, there's something about art, whether it's music or uh, movies or whatever it is, where people talk about how it aged or how it didn't age. And I always like think to myself that art isn't really, just because something doesn't age particularly well or doesn't sound to somebody 30 years mm -hmm. later the way that it affected somebody when they first heard it, I don't think it makes it lesser. There's a lot of, uh, of things about art that are of that moment and means something to the person that hears at that moment that might not mean something to somebody, you know, two decades later. Well, sure, um, sure. You know, and obviously like, I mean, I, I put out, I've put out records, like I said, from over the course of 30 years where, um, some people will be like, Oh man, I love that song from the first album or the whatever, like when I was younger and oh man, I love that song that really relates to me. And I'll be in the back of my head quietly going, Oh my God, I hate that song. I can't believe I ever wrote it. But like, but you know, it's sure that might sound insulting to them to tell them that. And it might make them feel bad that they like it. Um, but you have to understand that you like, like my shittiest song. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And believe me, I've said that and thought that many times, but I try to keep that under, under wraps, you know, I try to keep that inside sure. now because I don't really want, you know, to hurt someone's feelings just because I definitely outgrow things, 
you know, I mean, that's just, that's an artistic trait too, you know, but, um, but it usually, you know, it's different from, it's different than like taking that record and remixing it or like correcting the pitch or whatever. It's more just about like, oh, I'm more bummed about the words or the, right. you know, the, the lyrics or the, or the type of song or the whatever, you know what I mean? The, uh, there was something that you said when you were talking about the reaction. I wanted to talk about like this uh, particular album, uh, American Love Story. You talked about the reaction being, um, you know, a- as good as you could have hoped. And th- there's two sides to the reaction I wanted to ask you about because I think it's interesting that you're getting them at both at the same time. First of all, and I've been a fan for a while, as far as I can remember, this is the most uh, press and positive press, like mainstream press that a solo record of yours has gotten as far as I can remember. But at the same time, you've gotten a lot of, you know, on Instagram, when you've put these songs out, this is the most sort of, uh, political thing for lack of a better word that you've put out, you know, that deals with really touchy subjects. So you've gotten the harsh edge of the criticism from people who, like you, um, and then good uh, good response from people who maybe have never covered you before. What has that been like, getting so much positive mainstream press, but then dealing with some people who are your fans who have a negative reaction to some of the things that you were saying? Well, that's very, I mean, that, that was the bottom line from the get-go of waiting two years to put it out because I was obviously a little bit nervous about that. And then I realized I shouldn't be because that's not being an artist. Is, and I know that sounds pretentious calling myself an artist. I hate doing that. But, you know, the A words, you know, comes comes out super lame. But the but it's true that, you know, I've never really cared about doing records for other people. I've always made them for myself for the most part and cared mostly about what I think, you know, for 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 the record and and what I believe um, this is a one where, yeah, obviously it's a little more polarizing. Uh, and I, and I knew it would be, and I also know that this is, you know, it's a super divided, uh, super divided country right now and, and angry. And, um, that's what the record's about though. And when, when, you know, it's, and I, I, I could say it till I'm blue until blue in the face, but you know, no matter how politically, you know, um, educated, I like to think that I am, I've definitely, you know, I've definitely kept my ears and eyes open for the better part of, you know, the last 20 years of my life, uh, about this stuff. Um, it's, it's a social record. It really is more that than it is anything. Right. And, and it kind of pokes fun at stereotyping. It's, a, it's, it's stereotypes, stereotyping. And it's also, um, you know, about people not, and making things so black and white and people not talking and people not doing anything but lashing out. And so I just knew it was time to take to take the gloves off and throw it out because, you know, once we went on lockdown and there was people putting records off until next year and tours and everything, I was like, well, I know a lot of people are dying to hear music. Sure. They might be wanting some sort of happy song (laughs) or some, something to lift their spirits up, but, um, I, that's not really me. Uh, and I'm not really used to making those kind of records. Um, I like things to be a little bit uncomfortable and, you know, I say this every interview, but I love 
beautiful melodies telling me terrible things. So I love, <laughs> I love when like, I love when a song is super poppy and catchy and hooky and fun, but then it's like really, there's a lot of darkness in the lyrics. And to me, that's just some sort of dichotomy that I, am a, that I grow to, to love ever since Randy Newman and, and Tom Waits and people like that, that have always kind of done that, you know? Um, and, and there's many more, but obviously those are the ones that, uh, that I, that I love, but, um, it's, it, it really just needed to, it needed to be heard. It needed to be said. I don't know if it's been heard, but I'm glad that whatever amount of people have heard it, uh, for the most part are, are receptive. And I've gotten, man, I mean, I've gotten so many, um, messages and texts and things like that from, from people, from all walks of life, from friends, from preachers, from conservatives, from liberals, from everybody, uh, from black, white, gay, you name it. Cause the, it covers everything. And, you know, there was plenty of, of it making me a little nervous at first to be like, Oh man, I hope people don't think that any of this is insulting towards any individual person. These are characters. And, you know, when a, and it's just like you were saying, you know, you being a being a uh, you know a comedy writer or anything, but being a script writer for a movie or or a, or a director that writes a movie or does it, you don't like throw them under the bus for making uh, American History X. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not gonna you, you're not gonna like you're not gonna like like throw like throw rocks at Ed Norton when he walks down the street because he played a skinhead racist in right. a movie. You know, these are characters. And so a lot of people just can't get over themselves and everybody's too uptight when it comes to, for some reason, uh, stories being told with music behind it. But in a movie, it's like, or a TV show, or, or maybe even, even like Curb Your Enthusiasm or a comedy or something like that, where it's highly offensive, you know, humor or highly offensive, you know, uh, dialogue. But, you know, people just for some reason get their panties in a wad when it comes to it being on someone's actual musical record, you know? I- the Right to Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by our own realtor superhero. That is Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process. Um, Delaware finally um, announced that they are, rele- I think as of June 1st or June 5th, they're lifting the restriction on short-term rentals. Um, it was before this, you had to basically be a Delaware resident. You had to be there for two weeks prior. Um, now you don't. Look, instead of worrying about uh, renting a place down the shore at the Delaware beaches, not the Jersey beaches, which are overpriced and crowded, the Delaware beaches, which are not overpriced, not crowded, just as beautiful, probably more beautiful, with way cheaper property taxes. Instead of worrying about renting one, buy one. Just get one. And that way, uh, you will collect rental income all year long. It'll pay off your mortgage and you'll just watch the price of your your home go up, up and up and up and up and up. And uh, in a case like this, if you had owned your house, you wouldn't have to worry about renting one right at the last moment, which a lot of people are doing now. Um, Lewis, Rehoboth, Bethany, Dewey, Adam Kasabi is going to take care of you of all of them at all of them. And even though he can't sell you a house in PA or Jersey or something like that, He's willing to take care of everybody. So if you need advice, buying a house is a huge investment. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars over, you know, 
decades, basically. You want to know that you're going to a good person, just reach out to Kasabi and he will find a realtor wherever you are if it's not at the Delaware beaches where you're looking to buy. 302-864-8643, 302-864-8643. You can call or text him there or email adam at processrealtor.com. Um, I mentioned the property taxes in Delaware. You're talking about like anywhere from $500 to $1,500 a year. You could spend that a month in Jersey, and that's not an exaggeration. That like in, in the property taxes you're going to spend a year in Delaware is what you could spend a month. And um, and mortgage rates are super low. Um, if if you were thinking about buying a beach home, now is the time to do it, and Delaware is the place to do it, and Adam is the guy to do it through. 302-864-8643. Email adam at processrealtor.com. Back to the Ricky. I, I, I think it's also interesting, and you really have to listen to it to, uh, to know this. Like when you, I think you mentioned in an interview, the, just even the title flyover state can make somebody mad or they hear a word that you use that makes them mad. But it, uh, it doesn't seem to judge within the album. It sort of gives context to the feelings that people have and why even the wrong ones, like even the ones that we we think are, are not right. I think it um, it accurately, and this is probably at least in some part due to where you're from, you know, in Georgia and, and what you grew up with. But it does seem to understand that side better than a lot of uh, a lot of art that criticizes that side. Well, well but that's what that was the point is right. I, I get just as mad at like. I get just as mad at people that are, you know, sitting at the dinner table, you know, uh, yelling and calling everyone that lives in California some sort of liberal pussy or whatever, whereas like it's okay to but but there, but there again, you know, it's not okay for like a, a a celebrity to be crying about something from their from their mansion when their life is great. So there's this, and there's the breakdown right there, and that's the big great wall that's gone up between uh, two completely different stereotypes. Is that that's not the case? You know, I started getting it like immediately when people read the titles of the song or heard the first verse of a song, and they're like, "Oh, you." you know, you California liberal asshole, you don't know, you don't know shit. And it's like, uh, I grew up in North Georgia mountains. I know exactly what this is. And I also know what I hate about, you know, uh, I hate about every side of it. And I, I know what I hate about, uh, you know, the, the liberal side and the conservative side, you know, I mean, it's like, there's, there's, there's plenty of it that bums me out. And that's why I addressed it in a record that kind of puts it in a little bit more of a, um, uh, a bittersweet story, so to speak. I mean, you know, it's certainly not all darkness. It, it ends with a, I think it ends with a very beautiful message. And that was also the point because the whole thing is about overcoming hate. It's a love story about hate. You know, like I said, I don't want to dwell on it being uh, anything political because it's because it's really not. It's more than that, you know, to me anyway. You have uh, you mentioned earlier about writing for yourself, but you do also literally write for other people um, in terms of the acts that you've been associated with and, and the bands that you've produced uh, people, uh, name among a couple, uh, Weezer, Panic at the Disco, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, Avril Lavigne, Fall Out Boy, all American Rejects, a bunch of them, we can keep going. Um, how do you know, I guess, like, as a comedy writer, I'm writing for other people all the time. Like, I'm, I don't act, so I'm, I'm not saying the words. So I'm writing always for, like, people to say 
the words that I'm writing. But for you, you are you are deciding like, okay, is this I came up with either a melody or like a, something I want to say, and is that like how do you decide what the, what is all right? This is my thing. I feel like this. I, I have to say this one, and one where you're like, ah, eh, this one's just okay. I guess I could give it away. Like what is that? <laughs> what is that? How's that thought process? Well, and and to be fair, I don't ever usually make it like oh, this, this isn't that great, so I'm not going to use it for me. <laughs> I guess that's what I would do. That's kind of what um, I would do if I were you. you know, like, this one's like a B. And by the way, quite honestly, that is all in how you look at it. It is all perspective because uh, I used to, there was this A&R guy from a record label that used to like say the, the dumbest shit to me. He would always tell me, and he would say it completely not thinking it was offensive to me at all. He would because because he liked me as an artist, but you know I've always kind of stayed on the underground for lack of a better you know cliche, mm-hmm. um, and I like it like that, and it's fine because I can make the records and the songs that I want, and I like my songs that that are you know not always in a in a box or a formula or a big giant chorus or whatever, uh, but some of them might be quirky and weird and introspective and and whatnot. And this guy would always say to me, he would say, man, I just don't understand why you always give away your best songs. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of might answer your question is that, that it's not always to me, you know, and I, I've said this many times before, but I feel like there's a difference between a, 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 a great song and a hit song sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he only cared about hits. So he thought that the hits were only the best songs. And, and I would just be like, no, man. I mean, and by the way, I, don't really write like that anymore. Like, I mean, it, the, the, the game has changed so much over the years and the way that it's kind of now gravitated into more of a, I, I really enjoy just producing people now more than ever. And then if they need help finishing a song, I'll be happy to co-write it with them. But rarely do I come in anymore with like an outside song and say like, hey, this, this is perfect for you. Um, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah. And it's harder for it to work that way this day and age too, because now there's the, you know these weird formulas with like 20 people writing on the song and stuff. And I don't even know 20 people, so it's kind of weird to like have that many people stacked up on a song to write it when I've always just in, enjoyed and felt like I could write and finish a song myself. Um, I do understand the diplomatic process of like getting in a room and co-writing something with somebody and taking a 50, 50 cut and whatever you want to, however you want to analyze it business wise. But, uh, um, but when it comes to, it's gotten more complicated now and I kind of just, the, the, I like actually just only being invited to the writing songwriting party when I'm asked and, and I'll do it. And a lot of times it's with an idea that's either already there and half cooked or sometimes it'll be maybe I'll have a chorus idea that I'll have and I'll throw it at them and 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 half the time they'll bite and like it and then we'll finish it together and I, and that that's more of a organic process I think you know it is uh, it's an interesting coincidence in that the um, the last rock opera I remember coming out um, that had any real success was Green Day. Um, who you just produced. And then the Green Day record that you produced is the biggest leap that I've heard from Green Day um, in a long time. Was there, did 
did you talk about this record with them? Was there any sort of feedback? Uh, <laughs> like, do you talk about American Idiot in this? No. Oh, okay. No, because uh, well, you mean for you mean for their new record or for my new record? Well, for your new record, right? Well, for like, my new record, no, because I'd okay. already I already had mine done. Okay. And and you know the last thing I usually do is when somebody comes in to start working on a record, I don't just start playing them my new shit. I just like <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I guess I guess in the context of oh we did this and I did it too. It's just I guess there's not a lot well, of them out it, there. Yeah, and, and on, honestly, out of all the bands in the world. That's the last band when I got in the room to work on producing a new record for them. The last thing I wanted to do was go like, hey, I wrote a rock opera too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. so like and I, you have I, to use that voice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because <laughs> because I'm sure that and by the way, that is they are that they have been there, done that t- times 10. Yeah. Uh, well, times 10 times platinum and beyond and a, and a Broadway hit musical and the whole thing. So that the last thing they wanted to do and probably ever talk about was a rock opera. <laughs> so, so I never like brought it up to them. Funny enough though, I did, you know, I remember, you know, Trey did ask me for it uh, when he heard I had a new record coming out and I sent it to him and he loved it. And he was like, he, he wrote me back and was like, dude, I love the record and blah, blah, blah. And it was just really cool to hear. But like, I, I just don't push my stuff on. I'm, I have a hard time sending it to artists a lot of times or people that I work with because I feel like they might think there's some sort of motive you know, to get some sort of personal gain out of it. Right. It's, it makes me feel a little freaky, a little weird. Um, but we didn't talk about that at all. And obviously they weren't set out to make a, another, uh, American idiot with this new record. They wanted to just make something that they kind of hadn't, uh, touched on before musically. And, uh, and it was great. And we, you know, got a number one record out of it and it's the first, it's like the biggest record since since American Idiot. And by the way, that was the perfect storm. No one's ever going to, I don't think you'll ever be able to top what happened back when that record came out. You know, that's like, that was a, that was the perfect storm. I, when I, when I heard the first single, it almost didn't, I don't, you're, you're like me as somebody who in college drove around, you know, central New York to see different Green Day shows, you know, a big fan. And the first time I heard the first song, it didn't, it didn't even, I didn't even recognize it as them. Did, did you feel some sort of responsibility producing such a, you know, they've been around 30 years now and to your point done, been there, done that. You feel some sort of responsibility producing something that sounded so different from something that they've ever done before? Well, yeah, but I guess, uh, I'm, I'm kind of used to it because of producing other bands before them where, they've come to me and said, Hey, we want to make a record different from anything we've ever done. And as a producer, you have to make a choice. You have to go, okay, I'm either way in on this because I love change and progress and bands that challenge themselves to push themselves and do something different. Or you go, nah, man, I'm not getting thrown under the bus for that because you'll have all, you'll have half your fans coming after you. And by the way, that is exactly what happens uh, every time. I mean, I've made, I've worked on two Weezer records, and one I only did a couple of songs on, and it was an, and it was a, it was a number one, you know, hit that we had with it. But the rest of the record was like super poppy, and he worked with a bunch of like like pop track producers back in the day on it. This was Rivers, and um, and uh, man, 
people just don't take the time to do the homework or to do the research and they just come they just blame the producer for everything so you know you're getting all this thanks for ruining my fucking band you know <laughs> and it's like and you get that so much uh as a producer and and dude they'll do it even if you made a record verbatim the same as the record before it doesn't matter people are just waiting for failure from their favorite artist or they're waiting for a reason to hate and it's just part of it but not doom and gloom here i'm i i wouldn't do it if i wasn't up for the challenge or if i couldn't stand the hater rate i don't give a shit you know it's like you know the green day record clearly struck a chord with 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 most of the world if it went to number one debut for the week at, at when it came out and then had a number one single somebody must fucking like it so it's like you know i can stand having like a couple of mad brazilian fans yelling at me <laughs> and you know whatever but but let, let's be clear that's not you know i make a record that the artist wants to make you know, so you need to, you, you know, you should, first of all, you, people like that need to take that up with the artist because I don't go in and say like, Hey, I got a good idea. I'm going to turn you into the next Katy Perry, <laughs> you know, like I would never do that. And it's not about that at all. It's more just like, I have an idea for a record that, and when the artist has an idea for it and it sort of meets in the middle, I think, and I think we can make something great and fresh for them then I'm all for it because I've never liked making the same record twice for myself. I don't like hearing the same record twice from a lot of artists. So to me, my favorite artists are the ones that grew and changed. Not, you know, and, you know, that dates back to, that dates back to Dylan and, and, you know, audience members in London yelling at him because he went electric, you know, certainly didn't hurt his career much you know, to put out like a Rolling Stone with, with Robbie Robertson and the band behind him. But like people were mortified at it when it happened. And that's because people fear change. Yeah. They, they don't want new Coke. They want classic Coke classic. You know, most people don't want change. Well, there's, you know? there's something interesting about fandom in that sense. And this is ostensibly a basketball podcast. I don't even know if you knew that, <laughs> but that's what we do. And uh, that's fine. Um, yeah, but yeah. like we are, we, you know, we talk about the Sixers a lot and that's, I think there, there are, if you're a fan of something and you really give a shit about something, you also probably hate that thing in some way you're, you're, there's always, it's never just a pure caring about something to a, such a degree, I think allows somewhere in your brain to be like, I also I, there's also like danger of caring about it too much, and and if it doesn't go right, then I'm gonna be furious. Like there's never a uh, just an easygoing fandom about the things you care about the most. Yeah, and I read an interview with somebody a long time ago uh, from an artist in the '90s who was very successful and had a bunch of records that were you know kind of different from one to the next, and and he had a great point that I always identified with and that is like you know people have a romantic attachment to their first memory of of falling in love with you as an artist or your band or a song and it might have been when life was super easy for them and they were living at home with their parents and didn't have bills and 
you know, or were in college and having the time of their life and then had to go out and get a real job and work out in the real world. And, and that's fine. That's life. You know, that's, that's 90% of people in this, in this world that you have to go adult. But then all of a sudden when you're adulting and your favorite artist from college puts out a new record and it doesn't nostalgically take them back to that moment when things were simpler and happier, <laughs> then they get pissed. Uh, and then there's also just the plain and simple fact that they just may not like what you're doing now. They may not like that kind of music mm-hmm. that you're doing or you're trying now. That's well, fair. That's fair. But for the most part, I think it's a lot of just people having a romantic attachment to an idea of what they think that artist is. It, it's, uh, it's interesting to bring that up because your, your fans, it doesn't seem like you have anything but big fans. And in that, when you go to a show, if you go to a Butch Walker show, there's a chance if you've been to another one that you will recognize 25% of the people from a different show. Um, how has that been for you to, ha- to develop such a... Because your records have changed. They have been different. You've, you've been willing to do a different one each time, yet you've been able to maintain this core of such dedicated people who are accepting of that and almost look forward to it. Um, how do you think that's happened? And, um, and do you, do you, how do you think about it, I guess? Well, because I weeded out the ones that didn't believe that. <laughs> and I weeded <laughs> out, and, and believe me, there would be a, probably twice as many. And I understand that maybe five times as many if I would have just done like maybe one thing the whole time for 30 years or, or chased whatever was like popular sounding at the time, which I'm not saying I haven't adapted and, and, and like put something that can come out at the same time as, as modern music at the time with whatever the contemporaries are, uh, because I love music and I love contemporary music and I'm constantly learning and getting inspired and, and, and infatuated with a new artist every day. So it'd be stupid for me to think that, man, that's great. I wish I could, nah, I can't do that. I can't do that. They won't allow me. Nope. Sorry. Fans won't allow me. Fuck that. Like, I mean, like if I, if I, if I did that, I would just be phoning it in and I would, I'd be not happy with the records. And I think that would show. I think it would show it would sound not very passionate at all. And it might be it might not be everybody's cup of tea every time I put one out, but like I can't say I've ever phoned it in. And if anybody, you know, disagrees with that, then fine, but like I've just never I'm I'm my own worst critic, you know, and I want to be able to like love that love whatever I do as long as I possibly can because I do know what it's like to not love something I've done. I feel like I know the answer to this, and I feel like you're going to say you don't feel this way, but I'm going to ask it anyway and, and think you're going to get somewhere else with it. When did you feel like that, like you made it? Like going from playing like backup guitar on somebody else's record or just like you know playing sessions or whatever to get a quick buck when you're a teenager or whatever versus like, okay, I'm putting out my own stuff, and now I feel like I belong. I feel like I'm not pretending anymore. Maybe you can take your – not that you take your foot off the gas – but just that you're like, I'm, I'm in the club. I don't have imposter syndrome. <laughs> well, I had imposter syndrome many times. I think uh, actually, um, you know, the, 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 let's go way back to when I was, when I moved to, I moved to Hollywood uh, the first time <laughs> I moved to 
to L.A. I moved to Hollywood in 1988, and I was 18 years old. And um, my band was doing what kind of music was popular at the time then, which was uh, like hair metal. And, um, you know, we got signed to a big major label deal. And for a minute, I felt like we had I had made it. But I had not put I had not paid any dues and I had not put in the time. I'd never even been on the road. Um, so that came and went pretty quickly. And then it was a long, like a decade of playing 200 days a year, anywhere we could get a gig. Uh, and then I think the next time that I was able to build something was in the late nineties with my band was called the marvelous three. And we were an alternative kind of band or whatever. Uh, and we scored a, top five hit at alternative rock radio and it was like a fluke thing and it came out of nowhere next thing you know we're playing all the late night shows with you know uh, doing you know doing letterman and conan and uh all this stuff and and that definitely was my first and, and it was also the first time i ever made any money because i got a big publishing check i got a big publishing deal and that was the first time i and i literally had been you know like literally like sleeping in a van 200 days out of the year and then coming back and basically squatting in a friend's uh, guest house and, you know, just never had any money to even pay bills or anything uh, or to have bills to pay. So um, that was the moment I started feeling like something was happening. But again, that moment was fleeting and it went away quickly. And um, then it was like, okay, I'm not satisfied there's more to learn. There's more to do. There's more scars to get. There's more. So, and also, yeah, maybe more of, of finding, this sounds pretentious, but more finding who I was musically, finding myself, because I was still barely 30 when that happened and felt like I was, I still had so much to learn and about songwriting and being, you know, cause I would turn on my favorite records and go like, ugh. God, I think I'm hot shit, but I'm nothing. I can't write this. I can't write this song. I mean, this, I can't write this lyric. And there was luckily in the late nineties, mid nineties, late nineties, there was a lot of competition lyrically in, in the early two thousands. There was a lot of good songwriters and songwriting coming out and it inspired me. And so I think when I finally put down, uh, the notion of needing to be commercially viable, or be on the radio or be commercially successful that I could be successful if I was just happy being who I was musically. So that was, and that was probably around the time I made that record letters, which was in Oh three. And I felt like I really had my own voice at that point. Do you, this, um, this record in particular, you've mentioned like, you know, the, people aren't able to tour and support it. Have you even played these songs with other people or, or was this just you in a studio doing everything yourself? Uh, the, the, this new record. Yeah. Well, I started writing it, uh, about three years ago, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and I started sending just demos of it really quickly sketches to my manager, Jonathan, and was like, you know, here's, here's a few songs I'm kicking around. Maybe I'm starting to get the wheels grease, you know, and the brain greased up to maybe like write a new record. 
and they all kind of followed this theme, you know, there was none of it that was like a typical like love song or anything snarky or whatever. It was all, uh, it was all stuff that was a uh, kind of more, um, it was more, you know, on topic. And he was like, my manager said, Oh, well maybe, maybe you're writing a rock opera here or a concept record. And then, then a light bulb just went ding. And I started just grinding out songs. And so to answer your question, yeah, I started like laying everything down myself. I was laying the drums down, the bass down, the guitar down, all the vocals, keyboards, everything. And I do that on a lot of records where I'm the only band, where I'm the guy playing every instrument. And I enjoy it. It's cathartic and meditative and fun and challenging too, you know, because you know, it's like I, I was out of necessity when I came up uh, making records in my parents' garage on a four track because I didn't have anybody else around to help me. So I just was like, I'm going to lay everything down myself. Um, and then on the new record, what I did is I finally brought back in. I brought back in a lot of my tried and true bandmates that go on tour with me, like Mark Stepro on drums, who's played drums on lots of records for me. Um, he came in and laid down drums on like half the record because I thought, I thought I nailed it on about half the record on drums. I'm not a good drummer. So like if I can like play very simple stuff and make it work on a record, then it's great. But some of the stuff I wanted it to be like super like Toto, Jeff Picaro, like get like really getting down and get really deep, get pocket and get funk. And, uh, Stepro's so good at that. So like I brought him in and had him like replay the drums on a lot of it. And then I just pretty much played the guitar and the bass and then, uh, and kept all that stuff. And then the keyboards, I, I brought in my friend, Roger Manning, uh, who plays in, he's from the band called Jellyfish. He played in Beck. Uh, he's amazing. Um, Licorice Quartet now is his band. And I brought Jellyfish, him in. Jellyfish is great for anybody who hasn't listened. If you like, if you like whatever comes from Queen in that way, Jellyfish is an awesome band. It's correct. They are yeah. the, they, they were the Beatles and Queen and, and, uh, the Beach Boys all rolled into one weird, like psychedelic ball back in the early nineties. And they were one of my favorite bands that were, you know, and relatively unknown, but not in the circles of respected musicians. <laughs> so uh, clearly that's why like Beck cherry picked half that band for his band. He got Jason Faulkner and them put him in his band for years. Uh, and um, and so Roger has laid down stuff on my records for years. He's just a magic man when it comes to tasteful keyboard parts. Plus he's a, he's a, he's a treasure box of like references. So if you're like, Oh man, I'd love to get this like wink Paul McCartney and wings vibe, uh, on this song. Like I want to get this sound from, from like, you know, band on the run. And he's, he's like, got it here, queued up, boom. And plays it with like feeling and melody and cool. And so, so, you know, it's fun for me to have people come in and, and do stuff on my own records, but it's not a necessity. You know, I like doing a lot of it myself, but it, you're going to always learn something from somebody else. I'm still really intrigued by the idea of you saying that other people say which songs they like of yours that you're like sort of cringe at. If I were to tell you which song of yours is my favorite, will you tell me if you're cringing? No. You won't, no. You won't but, tell me? But, I, but I, would, I would like for you to tell me. Okay. I really like uh, Past Your Place, Saw Your Car, Thought of You. 
I love that. I actually, you know, that sounds pretentious for me to say I love my own song, but I'm really proud of that one. Okay. So, and I, you're proud I, of I, me for liking that one. The I'm most. proud of you. I'm so proud of you, <laughs> little good. buddy. Okay, no, I, I, I love the, I love playing that song live. It still actually can get me in an emotional place, which if a song you write can do that, you know, that, that's, that feels good. Is there an album that you look back on and you're like, you know, you've, you've said now that there's, you mentioned this song that you love and there's some that you cringe. Is there an out al- one of your albums that you look back on and you go, man, that one I really, really nailed. I think the spade is the perfect storm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so do a lot of fans, but bear in mind, that's not a solo record. That's a record right. with a band of guys that were, it was a democratic, you know, like liter- literal party. <laughs> we were in the studio drinking whiskey, raising hell and like putting this shit t- down on, on two inch tape cut live on the floor. Exactly. All the romantic things that people love to hear <laughs> of how a record is made. Uh, we did it shirts off, just, just going to town and having a blast. And, and honestly, that was a very, like everyone brought something in on that record. Those songs were all co-written pretty much largely by every band member. Um, including two people that weren't in the band, which was, uh, one was, was Mike Trent from the band Shovels and Rope, who is a longtime friend of mine since he was a, a little kid. And, um, and his wife, Carrie Ann, who is the better half, other half <laughs> of, uh, and they're, they're both, uh, from Shovels and Rope and they, they both contributed by playing and singing all over the record. Uh, he, he and I co-wrote most of that record lyrically together. Um, and, Jake, the bass player, he co-wrote, he, he pretty much wrote synthesizers, which is one of my favorite songs that I can't really take the credit for. Um, but if people will say it's my song, but I was, he, he just played it for me and I basically A and R'd it. I just basically said that song's going on my record. <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, there was lots of other, you know, Fran, the guitar player, he co-wrote several of the songs or at least the impetus of some songs. Chris Unk, uh, he also co-wrote a couple of, of nuggets on the song, uh, on the album. And it just came together and it was the most fun record to go tour and play on. And that was his, that was his, uh, to me, it was, I can go back and listen to that record now and still it makes my blood boil in the best way. Um, but, but I'm, I'm proud of, I'm proud of several of them. I'm not like saying that like, oh, I get a record done and then a year later I don't dig it anymore. I'm just as proud of, of Afraid of Ghosts, which, a lot of people uh, don't like because because the idea they had of me was not what that record was, which was a very downtrodden, very mellow, somber record recorded all in one or two takes uh, in four days of songs grieving right after my dad died. And you know, go ahead. No, no, no. Go. I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish. No, that was just my point is like, I know just from the grapevine that a lot of people didn't like that record because it wasn't, it, it didn't, it didn't rock enough or it didn't make them laugh or whatever. And it's like, I get it. I get it. I know what you like, but you know, when your dad dies, you come back to me and tell me if it makes you feel any differently when you listen to it or when a loved one dies or, you know, God forbid that happens. Uh, or hadn't already happened for people. But man, if I had a dollar for every time somebody has come up to me at a show literally in tears and said, man, I didn't really listen to that record after it came out. 
but uh, you know, I lost my mom or my dad recently or a family member and they would just be like saying how now it's their favorite record of mine. And that, that's, that's obviously very subjective, you know. The Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by the original uh, sponsor of the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast, LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Good news for LL is that uh, all signs point to, and in fact, the governor has said June 5th, um, Philadelphia County is moving to yellow, which means um, legal, like curbside pickup. So LL Pavorsky can start taking one-on-one appointments, can start doing curbside pickup, can start taking care of you. You can actually see his smiling face in person, five feet away, obviously, with a mask on, but definitely in person. Five feet. Six feet, rather. For LL, it's only five. (laughs) You know he's clean. He's been in Jersey anyway. Um, Yeah. Or if you want it to be 10 feet, he'll do 10 feet. He doesn't really care. He just wants to be able to sell you jewelry. Uh, 173 rights Ricky Sanchez listeners have purchased uh, engagement rings through LL. And through June, uh, if you buy an engagement ring minimum of $3,500, you're going to get a $250 gift card to, uh, for fans of Philly to use on a trip whenever you want, this year, next year, 100 years from now, um, if fans of Philly still exist 100 years from now. Mike, here's the question. What if you buy two engagement rings for $3,500 each? That's two gift cards, right? Two hands. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, assuming your, your potential fiance has two hands, buy sure. two engagement rings. Could yeah. be more, could be less. Yeah, you, you, never, you never know. Uh, a $250 gift card for fans of Philly. LL, again, you know, like we, we talk about with a lot of our sponsors, like we talk about with Cornblow, Kasabi. If you go to buy jewelry, you want somebody you can trust. You want somebody you can believe in because truthfully, you don't know what the fuck you're looking at. Um, and he does. And he, uh, he takes care of everybody. The best deals for Ricky listeners, the, uh, the best treatment for Ricky listeners, only the finest bottled water for Ricky listeners. And uh, did you know that his family and Sixers Adams' family go, like, way back? Have I mentioned that on the pod? I think, I, in my mind, all Cherry Hill families. <laughs> There's only, like, 18 Cherry Hill families, and they've all just sort of stayed in one place forever. Right, right. Um, uh, so LL is, is ready to take care of you, ready to get you an engagement ring. Look, it's the summer. You've, you've spent, you know, weeks or months on end with your uh, girlfriend or guy friend, and you're ready to propose because if you can survive quarantine together, you can survive fucking anything together. I'm 100% sure of that. So if you've done that and you're ready, LL is your guy. Um, give him a call um, or, uh, or just shoot him an email, lee at llpavorsky.com, lee at llpavorsky.com. You can take a look at what he's got at llpavorsky.com or just go to Twitter at llpavorsky. And until he can see you on purpose, uh, in, in person. On purpose. On purpose, in person. Uh, he can do the, the meetings however you want. You want to do them on Google Meet, he'll do them on Google Meet. You want to do them on Zoom, he'll do them on Zoom. He, does, he has a, gal- a, a Samsung, though. He has an Android, so he can't do FaceTime. So you're fucked if you want to get the ring FaceTime. You um, can probably Google Duo. That's what's a, that? That's another uh, it's a Google FaceTime-esque thing. Oh, I didn't know that. Thing. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Google Duo. Um, in any case, uh, and uh, donations to the Providence Animal Center and Coded by Kids uh, every month from L.L. Pavorsky. We love him. Love him to death. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Feet don't matter. Hands don't matter. Quality doesn't change. Back to the Ricky. 
two two dorky super fan notes on both of those records. I actually brought that record up on this podcast like uh, three or four episodes ago. Somebody asked us what a an album that we if you, you need something to listen to and you need something that you're sure that you like. And I mentioned that when Afraid of Ghosts came out, there's always something nerve wracking when exciting and nerve wracking when an artist you love puts out a new record because you're almost a little nervous to hear it because you want to make sure that it it meets whatever expectations that you have. And when that album came out, I had that feeling. I was like, well, I don't know about this one. But when I went back to it over and over, it stuck. And that record stuck. And that that's one of those records that I think you can hear what you're going through and what you felt. Um, and then the spade is the, the super uh, dork, super fan story is that I bought that Ampeg flip top that was on recorded uh, on that whole record. Yeah, that was on Reverb, and I made I've been I've been taking guitar lessons now for like two and a half years, and I made my guitar teacher teach me learn every song on it and teach me it. So I only remember a third of it, but we did go through that entire exercise, and I felt like it justified the purchase if I would go and do that. That's cool. Um, That's cool. Yeah. It's always good to hear those stories, and it feels good to hear. So I appreciate that. Um, so we have, this is a, a, a connection. We were talking before you came on in that this is generally a basketball podcast. We've had a lot of musicians on and What would a, a meeting point besides being a fan of yours be with you? And we have a lot of, ever since we started this years ago, but more so because one of the Sixers players is Australian, we have a lot of Australian fans and they're, they're sort of crazy. And there's, I, I assume they're still there. There's two cafes in Australia basically dedicated to your your music, which is crazy. Um, how does that even happen? Do they call you and ask you or does does the cafe just open up and they send you a note and, and be like, oh, by the way, all of our sandwiches are named after your songs? Man, and by the way, I'm blown away that anybody would ever do that for little old me anyway. That's a crazy thing. And I remember, I think somebody actually sent me a picture or posted it maybe on Twitter or Instagram or something at some point when they opened the first one called Sycamore Meadows. And it was a picture of the sign outside. And then it had a lyric under it. And I was like, what? You know, I was like, is that real? I thought it was photoshopped. And, um, and then come, come to find, you know, that I, I started, you know, I, I talked to those people and they were just the coolest people. Um, and yeah, they, they actually, hit me up and asked me about like, you know, permission to do this or whatever. And I, th I think they did anyway. I can't remember, but even if they, even if they did, I, I would have said in a heartbeat, of course, that's crazy. Why would I not, you know? Um, and when we were in, uh, Australia, uh, a year ago on tour and I was there doing a, doing a tour in January of 20, um, I don't remember when it was. Oh, 2018, actually. Shit, that was a long time ago already. Um, but it was, um, man, it was cool because I we actually, Todd and I, who was with me, my guy Todd, who comes with me and, like, he helps me uh, set up. He helps me engineer on records and he helped me, um, uh, you know, play play auxiliary musician on stage whenever I do the one-man thing. Um, he, and, he and I uh, went over to the cafe. We went over to the Sycamore Meadows Cafe and... And uh, they cooked dinner for us, and man, it, it was they were it was the best. We had the best night. They were the coolest people. 
uh, and most down to earth. And man, the, I'm not going to just say this just because, but the food was amazing. <laughs> it was really, really good. And you're always it hurt worse if it sucked. You're well, you're kind of yeah. scared about that, right? You don't, you don't yeah. want to walk away and go like, Oh my God, what happened? But like, um, but no, it was amazing. And, and then they just opened another one right after that. They opened one called the spade and, um, and yeah, they're just big music lovers. They're sweet people. Uh, a couple of them are musicians, you know, and it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I have a, I have a, I have a tattoo of Elvis Costello's head, his face on my wrist. So like, I'm, I'm super, I fan out over people that are, that mean a lot to me, you know? And I mean, I would, I, I would get more on my body, you know, if I had room. <laughs> they, uh, they are, they're the passionate and sort of careless at the same time, not careless in a good way. Uh, they, they, they use profanity in a, a lot different way than we do Australians. Um, but it is really not, I guess sad is the right word that they had, they had such a catastrophe, um, on that continent and it's almost gotten, it almost feels like 10 years ago that Isn't it didn't that crazy? even happen, yeah. right? Isn't it crazy that, that that feels like seven years ago with all this other shit that's happened and everything happening on a daily basis? I mean, it's nuts that like half that half that country, half that continent burned down. You know, it was just nuts. Um, really nuts. Before we let you go, I wanted to um, – you uh, – this is a, a very dog-friendly podcast. We uh, One of our beneficiaries is a, an animal shelter. It has been that for a while. Amazing. Uh, yeah, and we, 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 uh, we're, we're very pro-dog. And uh, one thing that has happened to me since, you know, I got my, my dog four or five years ago is that when I hear about other, it, other dogs passing that I've never met before, I start crying, <laughs> you know, like even if, and I, I read the thing, um, with, uh, with your dog passing Aldo and, um, it was touching and I just w wanted to know if there was one memory you had of him that when you think of him, you think of, um, that, that sort of captures the essence of what he was in your life. Well, man, I'm sitting here tearing up thinking about it cause I'm sitting here looking out in my backyard and yeah. I'm staring at a at a ball in the backyard that's still there. And, um, that's just, you know, when I, that was tough for me was, uh, you know, he, he was a good, he was such a good dog and just literally lived for car rides and fetch. And, um, you know, when I had, when I had like all of his hair all over the back seat of my car, like for the week after he died, I was like, I was, I was like sad to go vacuum it and clean my car, you know, and looking out into the back and, you know, seeing a, a tennis ball. And, you know, the one thing that really um, makes me the most uh, gutted is when the, when the, when the, when the gate, when that, when the, we have a, we have a, a driveway gate, you know, that the phone landline rings whenever someone calls it. And, for eight years, this this German Shepherd would bark his head off <laughs> every time uh, that it rang. Every time the phone rang, he would just lose his mind because he went in, he went into guard dog mode, He's, right. and he would stand up at the gate and stand there and look and see who was coming in. And 
just like he was such a good guard dog and such a good dog. And, um, now it's just, it's crazy. Cause when it rings, it's just so quiet. It's eight years of, of being, I'm, I'm never going to get used to the phone ringing and hearing the silence in between the phone ring. Yeah, man. Um, we, uh, we appreciate you spending so much time, uh, with us. The, uh, we, we've started doing a thing. We've, we've, we've actually done a, uh, um, uh, somehow we've been able to fill three hours a week doing this podcast twice a week since there hasn't been basketball in two and a half months. And one of the things that we've started doing is we give everybody a record to listen to. And then we listen to that record, something that's new to us, and we review it on the next pod. Um, obviously, we want everybody to listen to American Love Story. But if, if you could pick a, an album, n- not of yours, but pick an album that you would want that, that if somebody asked you, hey, what should I listen to, that you could tell everybody to listen to that could be our record club album for the week, what would you tell them to listen to? Well, does it, is it, are you looking for a contemporary record, a new record? No, or? anything. We, we, we've had, uh, it's been everything from like modern country to funkadelic to, um, like it's been a very wide, to hip hop, it's been a very wide, wide group of music. Just something that you love. Um, there's, there's one record in particular that I think I've, su- I've sung the praises of it for easily 20 years, if not more. I think it's over 20 years old. God, I don't remember. But, uh, and every time I put it on, I expect to like it a little less or it feel dated and it doesn't and it's timeless. And that is, um, there's a record by this girl named Shelby Lynn and it's called I am Shelby Lynn. And I, I think it's probably one of my top five records of all time. And it still is to this day. And when I put it on, I just, and she just put a new record out by the way, that is phenomenal. It's so good. But like, and so I would say as a one, two punch, you should listen to both records because it it shows that she can still make a record that is unbelievable. Like, and, and, you know, she's, this is not a, she's like me. She's not a new artist, you know? Uh, and even funnier, she did, she did win best new artist <laughs> at the Grammys one year, uh, after being an artist for like 13 years, which was hilarious. Hmm. Um, that's, that's so Grammys, but, um, <laughs> but the, uh, but no, it was, uh, it was, uh, that, that record, it was for that record. I am Shelby Lynn. And I mean, it's worth every second to listen to because her voice is so incredible and I just had her come sing which was I, we just met and and became friends which would which was a pipe dream for me because just to even have someone like her acknowledge my existence made me thrilled and here she is she's always like liking my photos on Instagram now and like I sent her my record and she was like she texted me in the middle of the night and was like whoa <laughs> I was like you know and I was like I, I I hope that's a good whoa but um but yeah she's like she's dope and I'm sitting here staring at her new album that she sent to me this the the vinyl uh, autographed by her and signed made out to me which which is which makes me super fan fanboy but um that that would be a record i would put how would i would say anybody could put on it's 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 one of the best morning and night records I feel like somebody mentioned her. One of our records was Margot Price was all American made. Is it in that world or no? I feel like somebody yeah, mentioned I would, it. When I would did say that. that yeah, that I would think Margot maybe is a big fan of her. Okay, and and okay. I love and I love Margot for sure. Yep. 
big voice. It's like a, she's got this like it's 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 more Dusty Springfield, like Dusty in Memphis style. Mm-hmm. That's what okay. that record was to me. The I Am Shelby Lynn record is it was like classic '60s country R and B soul almost. So it's like a weird combination. It's it's it gets funky, it gets groovy, it's soulful, it's bluesy. Um, but and she's got an she's got an insane life story so if you ever want to get into that you should read about it <laughs> so well, man at some time uh i hope the world you know you're mentioning the problems of of working these uh the american love story songs into a, a normal butch walker set but I, I will tell you if i can if i can offer an opinion at some time when the world gets to normal where we can have rock shows again you shouldn't be working them into a normal set yet. You should just be playing it beginning to end at some point. I'm gonna. Um, I'm gonna. Okay. All right. It's, it's because, gonna definitely be a thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm about. Uh, I will be. Uh, I'm gonna be doing a live stream one man band performance of it from beginning to end. Uh, coming up here actually super shortly. So. Oh shit! Yeah. All right, great. Well, um, thank you, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, bro. Um, well, thanks to uh, to Butch, um, he uh, for being generous with his time. Um, the, the story was that I was having trouble. I wanted to book him badly. I'm a, a big fan, and I was having trouble getting it done. And I mentioned it to Amos, and like, just mentioned it to him. And like, half a day later, I got a text saying, "Hey, like, like Butch will do the podcast." And he went and found him. I wonder so, what Amos said to him. Yeah. There's no way that the word Sixers was in there. No. Well, they have they have a mutual friend because I remember when when I bought that amp that I mentioned to him. So he had I don't think he has it anymore, but he had there's this website called Reverb where people sell used like uh, equipment, and occasionally there are like people that actually have bands on Reverb selling their old shit. And he had that amp, and I bought it. And when I got it, it had obviously just been the amp is like 50 years old. Um, like legitimately it's from the sixties. Um, and it needed some work and I, I didn't know what to do with it. And I mentioned it to Amos who had this friend who knew him. Um, so I think that was the way, but I do wonder what the conversation was, you know, um, there is a basketball podcast. Um, so thank you to Butch. American love story is the, uh, the album and it's awesome. I was going to ask him what, I was going to ask you both what it's like to have, to be to both have uh, dog names as humans, but after he <laughs> after he just told this really touching and sort of poignant thing about his dog and the hair in the back of his car, and I would have been like, "Hey man, what's it like to have a fucking dog, dog name. name as your guy?" Yeah. Or whatever. I'm like, ah, I'll probably just sit on that one. Well, yeah, and by the way, it was his dad's name too. His dad was like Big Butch, and like like yeah, it, <laughs> there were probably a lot of things that would have would have uh, gone wrong. Um, and that's a good song to pick out as a favorite. Pasture Place, uh, Sorry Your Car Thought of You is, is a great tune. Um, really great tune. Yeah. Um, Speaking so, of great tunes, Innocence Mission, Carl yes. Andrew Record Club, courtesy of Eliza Hardy-Jones. Yep. Uh, I thought it was exactly as she described it. Exactly as she described it. What a soothing listen. I don't even know that I retained a single lyric, but I had a great time listening to it. Uh, really calmed me in a nice way. It was so um, 
so as Mike said, Eliza Hardy Jones, we let her pick last week, and the album is Innocence Mission. Uh, the album is called Birds of Our Neighborhood. The band is Innocence Mission. It's their fourth album. It's from 99. Um, the two main people in the band, this was their first album without the guy who started the band, and the two main people in the band are married, uh, Don and Karen, and it is really pretty. Um, I uh, It sounds like a cloud almost. Mm-hmm. I. You know, before I knew that they were married, what it reminded me of, there's an album uh, uh, called Boy Genius. That I guess the group, it's a collection of people called Boy Genius. It's really good. And it reminded me of Boy Genius, but it had like a hint of the Carpenters, I thought, a little bit. And I thought it was interesting that, um, that there were like related people in the group. Um, and this was their first record without that guy. Uh, it's a really, really good listen. We got this email, which I thought was such a, a perfect Ricky email from Greg. He said, hey guys, I was quite surprised when Eliza picked the Innocence Mission as the next Carl Landry Record Club album. As she mentioned, they're based in Lancaster, which is where I live. I am a high school counselor and both of their kids were on my caseload. Both kids were also super talented musicians in high school, and Don and Karen, who make up the Innocence Mission, are seriously two of the most humble and unassuming people I have ever met. When my wife and I were making our wedding plans back in 2016, we had the idea of asking Don on guitar and his son, who had just graduated on violin, to play pre-ceremony music in addition to playing the bridal party and my wife down the aisle. They were more than happy to play for us and didn't ask for a dime. Even though we did pay both of them, we couldn't believe their generosity. It was a memory we have to live, we'll have live with us forever, and it was awesome of Eliza to recommend the album of such kind-hearted people. Wow! Like, it was really crazy that they played, um, they played uh, their their uh, their wedding. So yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend Innocence Mission, uh, Birds of Our Neighborhood. How did she describe it? I, I don't remember how Eliza described it. Oh, just like the most soothing, like easygoing listen. Because she just doesn't want to, she wants, she needs to be calmed in these times, and this is the most calming. And then the name of the band and album is like such a cartoonishly uh, <laughs> soft name for, for a calm album. I listened to there when I, I used to have Sirius XM, and sometimes I'd go to like meetings and like be nervous for them or whatever, and just like need to put on some like spa music. And so there's the there's a spa channel on Sirius XM, and this felt very just like yeah, okay, we're just like, give me some chimes. <laughs> Let me just cool the fuck down. Yeah, it's really good. I recommend it. And then, um, and then we we have ours for next week. I I feel so guilty that so many of our listeners have uh, given us Carl Landry Record Club uh, recommendations, and we've had musicians pick. I think the last three of them. So we have to stop that. Um, well, there were a bunch of things we were going to get to that we didn't get to. Um, there's hey, that's a benefit, man. There's always more podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> we we'll still get to two, it. Yeah, we still have we still have two more months before there's basketball again. So there, there's plenty of time. Um, well, thank you, Mike, for uh, for sticking through a uh, an hour long Butch Walker interview. Um, thank you, uh, listener. Go listen to the record. I, and by the way, we didn't mention this. Is there is a the album's about forty five minutes long. There's a a a YouTube video of the entire album with the lyrics and actors like playing the parts of the people in the movie, in the, the songs, which I think is good to connect the story that, that he's trying to tell in it. Um, well, that's it. More podcasts. We'll talk to you uh, this weekend. Are you down with TTP? Yeah. You know Lickface. 
See you, buddy. See you, man. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't, I won't fuck, fuck with you. you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. With you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! That's a friend.